You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from Proverbs 9, beginning in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. Well, throughout human history, there's a particular way that people have helped other people navigate life's sort of treacherous ways, and one of those ways is through cautionary tales. Now, it's a bit of a lost art for us today, but there are different cultures throughout time that had these different stories that would be told and retold and passed down that would help younger folks learn a sense of right and wrong, the do's and the don'ts, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, their taboos, their cultural taboos, and those sorts of things. One example of this is from a European book from the 1800s that is a series of 10 children's stories. Each one has a clear moral that demonstrates the disastrous result of sort of bad behavior in an exaggerated way. So here's three examples. One story is of a boy who did not groom himself properly and became wildly unpopular. Uh, The other is a story of a child who goes outside in the storm, although they had been instructed not to, and the wind picks them up by their umbrella and takes them far from their home. Another story of a young mother who told her son to stop sucking his thumb. But Matt, whose wife is German, knows this story very well. Um, But... He refused to listen to his mother, and so a traveling tailor shows up with giant scissors and cuts his thumbs off, right? Like... So some of these stories are quite exaggerated, but the cautionary tale (laughs) that we are looking at here in Proverbs 9 is no exaggeration. It presents life as lived between two rival banquets. 
And on the journey of life, you are going to continually be beckoned to turn into both. One leads to life and flourishing. The other leads to your death. No exaggeration. Now, by the way, I, I want to emphasize the you in that statement. There are often times in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, where we'll read you, but the intended meaning is you all. As a preacher, I have learned to utilize the word we and us, especially when we're talking about difficult things. It's much easier to say, you know, we instead of you. But I want to stress the you here because that is what the author of Proverbs is doing. In fact, look at me in verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone bear it. So it's prompting a very individualistic look at this. There's safety in numbers. We tend to follow crowds. And if we're all to be honest, life would be a lot easier if people just made hard decisions for us. We find it difficult to say yes or no. But this one is on you. The choice is yours and yours alone. And at the end of the day, you have you to thank for it. What we see here is a sort of dreadful um, scenario. Imagine this scene. You are being invited to two events on the same day, at the same time, on the same street. And you must RSVP, and on your Evite or whatever, there is no maybe button. <laughs> you cannot prolong this decision. It is a yes or it is a no. Whose invitation will you RSVP to? scenario. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage um, under three headings because there are three clear sections. We're going to look at the Feast of Lady Wisdom, secondly the Feast of Lady Folly, and then finally the fear that leads you. So let's look first at the Feast of Lady Wisdom. We see this first feast laid out before us here. And wisdom, which we have defined as the skill of navigating life well, wisdom here is being personified. It's been given human features. We meet Lady Wisdom here, and actually we meet Lady Wisdom in chapter one as she is crying out from the streets, calling to the simple to respond. If you look back in chapter eight, we see the extensive work of wisdom all the way back to the very beginning of creation itself. And then here again, she is welcoming travelers to turn in. So let's look again at verses 1 through 3. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. So wisdom is seen here as resourceful and hardworking. She builds her house. She butchers her own meat. She's a bartender. She busses her own tables. Lady Wisdom has worked hard to prepare her feast. As the old phrase goes, she is the hostess with the mostess. Wisdom sends out messengers from the highest point of the city calling out to the simple, which is another way of describing the uncommitted, to turn aside to her house and to join her feast. She is clear, she is obvious, and she is emphatic. Now, with raising five kids over the years, um, 
it's sometimes hard to figure out where all of our children are at one time. Now I love find my phone. I just know where everyone is at any given point. But when they were much younger, it was a real value to us when the kids were all in one place to have them home for dinner together. But it was hard, especially during like summer months, to find and figure out where they all were at one time. And so we bought one of those triangle bells for the backyard. And just like old school style, when it was dinner time, go out and ring the bell. And the kids would know if they hear it, if they were within earshot, they drop what they're doing at that moment and they come home. Wisdom is being described here as ring the bell so that you and I, wherever we are, would drop what we're doing and we'd come home. Look with me again in verses five through six. To him who lacks sense... She says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Now, feasting in the Bible is really important. And I love that we're going to be able to feast tonight because it's a picture into what God has designed for us in eternity. And as we trace the story of scripture, we see the importance of feasting. Back in Genesis 18, for instance, these angelic guests come to feast with Abraham. Psalm 23 describes the feast that God has made for David in the presence of his enemies. Uh, In the Gospels, we read about the feast that Jesus desires to have with his disciples where he institutes the new covenant. We fast forward to the book of Revelation. We read about the the feast that we're all awaiting, the, the marriage supper of the lamb and the new heavens and the new earth that we all will partake in. And so the feast, as we step back and we look at it biblically, the feast is a place of rest. The feast is a place of joy. The feast is a place of peace and fellowship with God and his people. And what wisdom is doing here is that she is inviting all to come and join in this feast. To turn aside, to leave behind your old ways, this is a picture of repentance. Turn away. You, the only way to come in is to turn away from what used to be. She calls us to turn away from our uncommitted ways. She calls us to turn away from our old worldly identities, to turn away from our old worldly pursuits, to turn away from sin and foolishness and things that lead to destruction and to come experience the life of God's abundance at the feast that maybe you didn't even know that you were looking for, the feast that you've been looking for your whole life. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. That's a picture of grace. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus paid it all. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor uh, for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And listen to this. And delight yourself in rich food. Delight yourself in rich food. What this is pointing out here is that you and I are creatures that have been designed for pleasure and satisfaction. God has given you an insatiable appetite for delight. Strong 
desires for connection, strong desires for intimacy, strong desires for pleasure and fulfillment and abundance. And what Proverbs 9 is showing us is that wisdom is never going to lead you to shut down those desires. This is what separates biblical wisdom from so-called stoic wisdom, which I don't believe is wisdom at all. Wisdom does not lead you into a repressed life. Wisdom is not calling you to shut down your desires. Proverbs 9 is urging you to keep your stomach full at wisdom's feast, to dine at the Father's table of abundance, and to refuse to settle for anything less than God's best for your life. Now, you knew it was coming, but C.S. Lewis said it best when he said this. If we consider the unblemishing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. And listen to these words. We are far too easily pleased. Let me make it personally personal. You are far too easily pleased. And wisdom is saying, stop settling. Stop settling. The second scene I want to point your attention to is the Feast of Lady Folly. The Feast of Lady Folly. So not only is wisdom being personified here, but foolishness is as well. And if you're concerned about a woman being personified as foolishness, don't worry. For every once uh, occurrence, there is like a million foolish men in Scripture, by the way. (laughs) She is the original femme fatale who intentionally uh, uses like schemes like her beauty and charm and sexual allure to draw these travelers into a deadly trap. Look with me again in verses 13 through 14. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat in the highest places of the town. So as I try to envision Lady Folly here, the picture that comes into my mind is Madame um, Tardier from Les Mis, if you're familiar with the story. She and her husband are sort of secondary antagonists. They're these like sleazy keepers of an inn. And it's this place where they cheat and steal and sell sex and overcharge and underdeliver. And there at this inn, they sing a song. And the song that they sing is this. I'm just going to read a portion of it. But food beyond compare, food beyond belief. Mix it in a mincer and pretend it's beef. Kidney of a horse, liver of a cat. Filling up, with the, filling up the sausages with this and that. Residents are more than welcome. Bridal suite is occupied. Reasonable charges plus some little extras on the side. So there's this like idea that yet yeah, it's not what you think you're going to get. This is the picture of turning into Lady Folly's feast. 
it's going to leave you deeply dissatisfied. She's going to leave you feeling quite disgusted with yourself. And at the end of the day, it's going to cost you everything. She's described here as, verses 15 through 17 say, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So notice something about this. These are not necessarily travelers that are looking for this place. These are travelers that are described as headed straight on their way. They're minding their own business. They're carrying out their lives. But then they hear the alluring voice of Lady Folly calling out to them. They turn to see, and she's dangling quite the carrot here. She describes it as stolen water and bread eaten in secret that is pleasant. Now, in ancient poetry, this is a sort of discreet way of illustrating adultery. Stolen water, uh, bread eaten in secret. It's describing intimacy with a woman who is not your wife. Things done in the dark. What she essentially is saying this, come in for dinner and stay the night while you're at it. Now as the reader is reading through this, initially uh, Israel's youth most likely Israel's male royal youth, as they are reading through this, the reader is intended to begin to see the contrast between these two characters. Wisdom is on her feet building. Folly sits and lounges. Wisdom prepares. Folly steals. Wisdom offers good wine. Folly is offering stolen water. Wisdom sends out messengers. Folly just sort of blows kisses from the door. Wisdom is forthright. Folly is secretive. Wisdom walks in the light. Folly reclines in the dark. Wisdom helps you keep walking on the path, keeps you going on the way towards righteousness and life and understanding. Folly intends for you to stop and then subtly lays you in your own grave. The deceptive nature of it all is that as we look at these invitation, at first, the invitation of both Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly sound very similar. It's only once you actually turn aside and you're hooked and then you begin to sort of read the fine print on Lady Folly's invitation, you begin to notice, wait, this is not the same party. This is not the same scenario. What Lady Folly offers us is really just a counterfeit of Lady Wisdom's feast. Let me say it differently. Sin is only capable of offering us a counterfeit of God's goodness. They will appear similar at first, and often sin will appear appeal to the same desires at first. But it's cheap. It's stolen, it's hollow, it's temporary, and it will cost you way, way more than you ever bargained for. Our world is full of counterfeits, and counterfeits that really deceive people into thinking that what they are experiencing is real. 
and substantive. I, I cannot tell you how many times over the years I have heard people say, particularly in relationships, things like what, what you don't understand is what we have is real. What we have is real. And what ends up happening, time will always tell, it was not real. It was empty, it was destructive, and it cost way more people than you ever would have intended. And it proves to be not only dysfunctional for the person, this is where we leave individualism. It's an individual decision, but it has implications for every single person around you. Don't ever think you sin in a vacuum. So Proverbs 9, you guys still with me? Proverbs 9 is a summary of the first portion of Proverbs. If you've been reading through our Proverbs plan, you notice that there's a shift between 9 and 10. Nine is what is, uh, 1 through 9 is uh, described as the discourse Proverbs. They're longer teachings. And then when we turn that corner into chapter 10, they become what is known as Proverbs proper. They're short, pithy Proverbs, the, the Proverbs that we end up thinking about when we think about the Proverbs. This is the linchpin. This is the, the hinge. And Solomon wants the reader to learn that through wisdom, we can distinguish between what is real and what is fake. Because we desperately need wisdom in order to discern between what is going to bring life and what is going to bring ultimately death. Look with me in that final verse, verse 18. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Some of your translations actually read departed spirits. He's causing us to envision ghosts. And when I picture this scene, because this is a very imaginative scene here, what I imagine is... um, the haunted mansion at Disneyland, right? Where there's, you know, like the of the departed are there, they come in, but they never leave. And they carry on like everything is fine. They're eating and they're drinking and they're dining and they're dancing. And what's the most terrifying thing about that whole scene is that they don't even know that they're dead. They're in hell and they don't even know it. They're in hell with no way out and yet no determination to be anywhere else but there. And so we see Lady Wisdom's feast, we see Lady Folly's feast, but let's look finally at the fear that leads you. This portion in the middle of this chapter is intended to prompt a moment of self-reflection. Look with me again in verses 7 through 9. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So the point is this. Do you receive correction? And I'm not asking As a corporate body, I mean individually here, do you receive correction or do you reject it? Do you receive it or do you reject it? Now, as I ask that question, you may be asking, what does this have to do with these two rival banquets? It seems like that center section is sort of out of place. It doesn't really fit, but it actually is very related. Here's how it's related. 
wisdom's invitation is often going to come in the form of correction. Lady Wisdom's words are both beautiful and brutally honest. Brutally honest. She is not going to flatter you. She is a wonderful host because she's honest with you. More honest with you than any of your friends. More honest with you than even your own self. And the humble will receive that correction as an expression of love and care. The arrogant fool will take it as hate and respond it as hate. The righteous will be drawn in even when the truth hurts and the wicked man will lash out and reject it and turn away. Said differently, your response to correction is going to tell you a lot about what table you're actually seated at right now. It's going to reveal to you where you've made your home. It's going to reveal to you whose voice you're actually listening to. And then Solomon brings it home with this like really familiar statement that is repeated all throughout the Proverbs. It is what's vital to a life of wisdom. Look with me again in verses 10 through 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight for by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to you. So here's the point. Where you turn is determined by who you fear most. Behind each of these invitations, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, is really just a call to worship. Something to notice about the houses that are being mentioned here. The house of Lady Wisdom is described as having seven pillars. It's at the high places. Even Lady Folly's house is described uh, as being in the high places. If you know your Old Testament, that phrase high places should be sending off alarms within your soul because you're realizing that these aren't just houses. They're temples. This is describing places of worship. Behind Lady Wisdom's invitation is a call to draw near to God in worship. And behind Lady Folly's invitation is an invitation to, call, uh, to bow down before false gods. And at the end of the day, the choice here isn't ultimately between what is right and wrong or good and bad or even wise and foolish, as important as those things are. The choice that is being presented to you right now is the choice between true worship and false worship. The invitation that you must respond to. There is no maybe button. There is no I'll show up to both. There is no declining to go to both. The decision you must make is fear of the living God or the pursuit of vain idols. And your life is right now marked by either one. Fear of the Lord or the pursuit of vain idols. Bruce Marshall, this is actually normally attributed to G.K. Chesterton, but it was Bruce Marshall who said, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. In other words, every traveler is desperately seeking for God. 
every traveler is desperately seeking for the intimacy and life and the fulfillment that is found in the presence of God, but they are just looking often in some of the most ungodly places with some disastrously misguided worship here. And Solomon reminds the reader that true life is found in what he describes here as knowledge of the Holy One. In other words, the fulfillment that you are searching for right now is only going to be found in an intimate and awe-filled experience of being in the presence of the living God. Listen to the way that the psalmist would describe it in Psalm 16. Speaking to God, singing to God, he says, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When was the last time you thought about the presence of God like that? Pleasures forevermore. And I think that this is the point. I think the point is this, that the only way to withstand the alluring calls of sin and foolishness is to be consumed by the goodness and the unfading beauty of God. There's a story, a familiar story that I've shared in Greek mythology of the siren calls. These, these mythological creatures, beautiful creatures that had these songs that they would sing on this island that would cause the captains of ships to turn in to hear them and they would run into the rocks and be shipwrecked. No one made it through safely. And these sailors would devise these plans to make it through. Some of the sailors would shove beeswax into their ears to block the sounds, but the, the, the alluring sounds would pierce even that. Odysseus thought he was a BA, and he said, he said, chain me to the mast of the ship, and I'm going to yell at you, and I'm going to say, untie me, but every time I scream at you, just cinch those down tighter and tighter and tighter. And a lot of us view withstanding temptation that way, thinking that that's the way to, to turn away from lady folly, willpower pressing through, closing our eyes, gritting our teeth, being bound up in strength, pull those ropes tighter. But as one ship was passing through, there was a skilled musician on board named Orpheus who began to play his music. And the story goes that the music on board on the ship was so loud and so beautiful that it drowned out the sirens' songs and the entire crew made it through safely. The only way that wisdom is being described here is in terms of enjoyment. The way wisdom is being described is not as this sort of intense display of inner strength and this intense dis display of willpower we're only the strongest and we're only like the like most mental, you know, like mental warriors make it through. The way of wisdom is being described as none other than an experience of joy and fulfillment in God, abundance and satisfaction. Those who are at the table of Lady Wisdom are these. They are those who just think to themselves, I'd rather be nowhere else than here. I, I, I just couldn't imagine settling in my life anymore 
for anything less than the goodness of God that is offered to us by grace. They're not the strongest. They're not the most brilliant. They're not people with extraordinary willpower. They're those who've just been hooked by God's grace. And for us today, this voice is calling out to you to come to the table as well. And the voice comes through the words of the gospel spoken. And so what I want to do is just close by reading over you a portion of the New Testament that sings that gospel truth beautifully. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1. Just hear these words, open your heart to faith, and hear these words being spoken to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. But in the New Testament, wisdom is embodied in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it's through faith in this Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, through placing our trust completely in him, that we then come to the table of God's abundance where we are lavished with his grace. And it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're told here, that we experience the hope and the certainty, the guarantee of the eternal inheritance that is ours. So let me close with a question. Where will you turn in? Which voice will you respond to? And who will you give your emphatic yes to today? Let's pray. Father, we...